Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. To hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley summertime and the reading is delicious in this special August edition of Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. For the next hour, we will enjoy a buffet of tasty tales of murder in the popular subgenre of mysteries known as food cozies. No distasteful blood and gore in these whodunits. Instead, readers can expect to savor the succulent and saucy with a discreet homicide as an appetizer or palate cleanser. These novels are the comfort food of mysteries, and fans are gobbling them up. With titles like Toasting Up Trouble, Red Beans and Vice, Muffin But Murder, Death by Dumpling, Fatally Flaky, and The Quiche of Death, food cozies are made for beach reading or staycation summering. As Gouda as Dead, the sixth cheese shop mystery series. The aroma of a potent Irish cheddar cheese, our last sale of the day, hung in the air. I detected a hint of the quiche I'd made in the morning, too. Apple bacon gouda. It had been rich with a smoky, savory flavor. I already own a candy store and make s'mores, fudge, and saltwater taffy. She filled a plate with small portions of food, including shish kebab, Mediterranean couscous salad, pulled pork, and even her own candy. So let's dive into Sloane's fourth adventure without a brew. Guests who stayed with us would receive special beer tastings, personal brewery tours, and handmade breakfasts. The highlight of our brewery lodgings would be custom beer-infused breakfasts. Reading and recipes, the perfect escapism for those lazy, hazy days of summer. Joining me remotely, three authors whose murders are baked into the plot. Joanne Fluke's latest book is Coconut Layer Cake Murder. It's her 26th book in a series known as the Hannah Swenson Mysteries, 27th if you count the novella The Gingerbread Cookie Murder. All of the books feature recipes mostly created by Fluke, who comes from a long line of bakers. Fluke is Joanne Fishman's pen name, but she also has six others, under which she's written 12 other mysteries, three teen thrillers, and seven romances. Many of Fluke's novels have landed on the New York Times bestseller list, and Hallmark Channel turned five of the Hannah books into a TV series called Murder, She Baked, starring actress Allison Sweeney. Joanne Fluke was honored by RT Book Reviews as a living legend. Fluke was born into a small town in Minnesota, like the home of her character, Hannah, but now lives in Southern California. Welcome to Under the Radar, Joanne. Thank you very much. Maddie Day's fans know her as an author with a double identity. Her latest food cozy, Nacho Average Murder, is part of the Pans and Pancakes Country Store series set in South Lick, Indiana. Maddie Day also writes the Cozy Capers book group Mysteries and is a pseudonym for Edith Maxwell. Maxwell's first four books in her historical Quaker Midwife series were nominated for an Agatha Award, which recognizes authors in the cozy mystery genre. 
She actually won the Agatha Award for her charity's burden and is a 2020 nominee for the Sue Fader Memorial Award for Best Historical Novel for that same book. The amateur chef and native Californian lives in Amesbury, Massachusetts. Hello, Edith. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted. V.M. Burns' latest is Motherless Child, the second in the R.J. Franklin series, which features a little bit of a twist on the food cozy genre. Her main character, R.J., is not an amateur sleuth, but a homicide cop, whose beloved companion is his soul food cooking godmother, Mama B. V.M., Valerie Burns, earned degrees at Northwestern University and the University of Notre Dame before adding a Master of Fine Arts in writing popular fiction at Seton Hill University. Traveling Shoes, her first in the R.J. series, was her thesis. The book received a starred review in Library Journal and was a two-category finalist in the Next Generation Independent Book Awards. And her novel, The Plot is Murder, from her Mystery Bookshop Mystery series, was nominated for a first book Agatha Award. By day, Burns manages a training call center, and by night, she writes her cozy mysteries, children's books, and screenplays. This transplanted Indiana native now makes her home in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Hi, VM. Hi. Well, I'm delighted to have all of you. This is my favorite kind of mystery genre. Um, I learned that quickly after trying to read In Cold Blood years ago and realized, mm, no, not for me. That's not working. <laughs> so I love... Uh, the great stories, the characters, and, of course, the food. Joanne, you are known by some as the kitchen crime queen. Um, but you weren't writing food cozies at first. This was actually the suggestion of your editor. Tell me about it. Yes, it certainly was. I was, uh, at the time, I believe I was writing romances. I can't, you know, I... I get, I've written so much I get confused, but uh, first I wrote, um, um, well, they called them horror books because they were very scary, very <laughs> scary stuff. I wrote those first, and then I sort of went to other genres and ended up not sure what I wanted to write. I wrote a lot of books there, and my editor, John Scunamilio at Kensington, came to me and said, how would you like to try your hand at writing a cozy mystery? And I said, what's a cozy mystery? <laughs> you know, I hadn't read any. And he said, oh, well, it's a mystery that has, um, we actually don't see the murderer, and we can't use any naughty words. And he did say naughty words, which I got a kick out of. And yes, and, and it has to be, has to make you feel warm and fuzzy and cozy. I mean, that was the whole deal there. So I said, okay, fine, but can I put recipes in there? And as I say this, I am looking at the 17 boxes, shoe boxes full of recipes <laughs> written on old gas bills and electric bills and things that, from my family. And I said, gee, you know, I'd love to do this because I always wanted to write a cookbook. Can I put recipes? He said, sure, why not? And that's how I got started. So you, um, as I said, came from a long line of bakers. So putting recipes in must have been fun, right? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, it was great. I had all these recipes. I had made most of them, although I still occasionally find one that I haven't, haven't tried yet. 
And I also get some from the Hannah fans, which is really nice. They give me their family recipes. And it's in some of them I just make up because I can't find a recipe for it, but I want it. You know, this is what I did with my peanut butter and jelly pie. I couldn't find a recipe for peanut butter and jelly pie, so I made one up. And right now I'm, I'm making up a couple more, <laughs> so this should be a lot of fun. No kidding. Well, um, I always like to give our listeners a chance to hear a little bit of the book. I know some authors prefer that I read the excerpts, and so I'll be reading yours, Joanne's. And I'm going to try to oh, do just—I'm going to try to do justice to Hannah Swinson, who's fabulous. This is uh, the first recipe mentioned in the book "Coconut Layer Cake Murder." Oh, Hannah, you look absolutely lovely, Lynn complimented her as Hannah came down the stairs. I should mention that Hannah is visiting her friend Lynn in Los Angeles. Hannah remembered what her mother had taught her about accepting compliments and gave Lynn a big smile. Thanks, Lynn, she accepted the compliment gracefully. Mother gave this to me for my birthday. It's perfect for you. Lynn took the cookie tin that Hannah handed her. Cookies? No, I made chocolate peanut butter toffee for you. A broad smile spread over Lynn's face as she pried off the lid and looked inside the round tin. This is my very favorite candy. You used to make this for me every Christmas when we were in college. It's a little different this year because I couldn't find Nabisco chocolate wafers. But it looks like there's chocolate on top. There is. I melted chocolate and drizzled it on the top. It's pretty. Lynn took a small piece of toffee and bit into it. It's just as good without the chocolate wafers, Hannah. Actually, it may be better. It tastes like there's more chocolate. That's because there is more chocolate. I used a layer of chocolate chips on top of the crackers. There's more salt, too, and I like it. I used club crackers, and they're salted. The salt side is up, and that adds more flavor to the chocolate. You're right. It's just wonderful, Lynn reached for another piece and stopped herself just in time. I better save this for later or I won't be hungry when we get to the restaurant. Yeah, um, I started off right away being hungry. Uh, Joanne, thanks a lot. <laughs> I wasn't into the book very much, and there's that delicious recipe right off the top. Um, I should say that you made your name in this genre with your first uh book called A Chocolate Chip Cookie Murder. And that was made into one of the uh, first movies in the Hallmark Murder She Baked series. I wanted to give listeners a chance to hear a little clip from it. So the movie premiered in 2015 and it starred Allison Sweeney as Hannah Swenson. I'm Hannah Swenson from the bakery. I'm the one who found Ron. Oh, good. Yeah, I, uh, I need to talk to you. How well did you know the victim? Uh, he was a really good friend. Boyfriend? Oh, oh, no. Just not your type? No. He was a great guy, and he was a hard worker. He worked 60-hour weeks at the Cherry Cow Dairy, and Max Turner is his boss. He's rich, but kind of cheap, and he wouldn't buy a new truck for Ron. He so you buy... think this Max Turner is the killer? No, I didn't say that. This is what I love about the Cozy Mystery series, and that was uh, a clip from a chocolate chip cookie murder uh, from the Murder, She Bakes series, which was uh, written by... Joanne Fluke, and then produced uh, by Hallmark as a movie in 2015. The characters, the main characters in this case, your your characters, Hannah Swenson, are just your average people, you know, living their lives, <laughs> end up in a situation where their murder is going on. That's so, right. um, Maddie Day, Edith Maxwell, I want to switch over to you and talk about your average, your average person who's Robbie Jordan um, in this book, your latest, which is called Nacho 
average murder. And it's a country store mystery because, as I said, you write a couple of of different ones. Um, Tell me why you like to write cozy mysteries. You know, that's what I like to read. That's what I was reading when I started writing in the early 90s, when I started writing fiction as an adult. I was reading um, Catherine Hall Page, who writes um, a food-based series um, set in the Concord area and in Maine, Concord, Mass. And I thought, I like to read these, so why don't I write what I like to read? Uh, Because you have to live with these characters and these stories for a long time when you're writing. and, uh, and I love cooking, and I grew up baking at my mother's side, and it just seemed to make sense to write something with recipes in it. And let's talk about food placement and recipes. So um, in Joanne's books, she puts the recipes right in as the story is going on. In a lot of the other books, and you chose to do this as well, you put the recipes at the end. What, is there any reason for that, or that's just what, you, that's just what your, pref- your preference is? When I started writing foodie cozies in 2011 it seemed to be a little more the norm to put them at the back Mm -hmm. and I feel like it doesn't sort of interrupt the story hey Joanne you are the queen so I'm not dissing you at all for put interleaving them that's quite okay (laughs) don't worry about it I put mine in you know after the chapters just because sometimes people like to stop and bake Yep, that's fine too. So anyway, mine are at the end. Uh, it's easier for me to just kind of slide them all in. And mine aren't all baking. Some are, um, you know, savory dishes. And I usually every book I have an alcoholic drink in there too. So <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> um, I was going to mention that uh, Robbie Jordan enjoys an adult beverage. <laughs> she does. She does. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's have you read a bit uh, from Nacho Average Murder. Uh, How about page 19 from, um, this is early on in the book. So she's in the Nacho Average Cafe um, and um, has just gotten her breakfast delivered. Before I took the first bite, I snapped a picture of my died and gone to heaven breakfast. Two fried eggs on refried black beans, atop a corn tortilla covered with slices of a perfectly ripe avocado and chunky homemade salsa with a dollop of sour cream on top and more warm tortillas on the side. I posted it to the Pans and Pancakes Instagram account with a message reading, March breakfast special, could happen. I added a hashtag of not in Indiana anymore, Dorothy, which made me smile. I had a pretty healthy number of followers and they weren't all Hoosiers either. I imagined them smiling too. I'd thought of keeping a little notebook for meal ideas but the pictures would jog my memory about the ingredients. I sniffed, loving the toasty smell of the tortillas, one of my favorite things to eat since I'd grown up in Santa Barbara. I'd savored the first bite of the dish when my phone dinged with a text. I'd been trying to reach my mom's good friend, Liz Stover. Her daughter and I had been friends growing up, and the two mothers had kept up their friendship in the years since high school graduation. Zoe and me, not so much. We drifted apart during high school, and neither of us had made an effort to stay in touch. Before I'd come downstairs this morning, I'd texted Liz where I was going to eat breakfast and asked about a walk on the beach later. Liz now replied, on my way to NAC, walk after sounds good. NAC? After a second, I realized NAC was Nacho Average Cafe. Cool. Maybe she would know something about mom's death, or maybe not. What I really wanted was to simply be with Liz, reminisce about my mother, and find out what 
Liz had been up to. Another text dinged in. I smiled when I read my boyfriend Abe's message. Got six inches of white overnight, heading out to Snowshoe. Wish you were here. I tapped back a message. Wearing flip-flops and shorts, walking on the beach later. Wish you were here. I did wish he was here to enjoy my birthplace with me, and I had invited him to come along. He'd said he didn't want to intrude on the reunion, my high school reunion, and anyway, he was slated to teach a new employee training during the week. I sipped my Bloody Mary, which was nice and spicy, exactly how I liked it. Carmen had served it in a heavy blue Mexican tumbler. I loved the, feeling of, the feel of those glasses and resolved then and there to pick up a set and take them home. I swooned after I bit into my orange scone. The orange was tangy and sweet and the crumb perfect. Maybe Carmen would share the recipe. That's my guest, Maddie Day, also known as Edith Maxwell, reading from her latest book, Nacho Average Murder, A Country Store Mystery. Now, some people may look at these uh, uh, books, you know, with the clever titles and the recipes and think um, they're very light meaning there's not much uh, to the characters. But in fact, as I think you demonstrated in that read, and we heard some uh, with Hannah, there is so much attention to detail about who the characters are and how they fit into each story. So while the murder is very important in each of the book, it's really those characters, um, Edith, that you have to make certain kind of pop on the page. Absolutely. And we do have... We do have real social issues as a background in Cozy Mysteries. So they're light and justice is restored at the end, but but we address social issues. Um, in this book, there's an issue of um, chemical pesticides being used, chemicals being used on farms in Santa Barbara and, and a group trying to stop it. Um, so it's not the mystery, it's not the central story, but it's a background. I also noted that you mentioned the the fires um, because you were in California and, you know, as a matter of passing, you noted that several times throughout the book to remind people that that's an issue, some, some of those burnings going on. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a Southern California native and it's a real issue um, every year, but it's been getting worse the last few years. So question, do you get uh, tired of the same? And now, you know, you write different um uh, series, all of you do, but do you get tired of one character and then switch to the other one, or how does it work? For me, um, I I write three books a year, so I have to focus on one book in one series, um, and I crank out a first draft, and then I revise and polish and get it edited, um, and then I go on to the next one. So, But when I'm coming to the end of a book, the characters in the next book, which is in a different series, start knocking at my brain. <laughs> You know, <laughs> that's when I start switching. But I, I really can't afford to go back and forth because it's too distracting. Got it. All right. VM, Valerie Burns. Um, what we were just talking about with regard to characters are, you know, critically important in these books. And as I mentioned earlier, you did a little flip on the the kind of the, the way the genre usually rolls out, which is the amateur sleuth. And your main character, RJ, is actually a homicide detective. Why did you decide to make your main character really somebody who's with law enforcement and his companion be someone who is not? So 
one of the things that I love about Cozy Mysteries is the amateur sleuth, but it's also one of the things that can sometimes frustrate me because there is only so much that my brain can take as far as suspending belief. Because I love to read this genre, I know that sometimes when I'm reading, I get frustrated and I wonder, why is this person taking this, these risks to go out and, and try and track down a murderer and, and put themselves in danger and they're doing all of these? And why are they questioning suspects? And, and why are these suspects even you know, responding to them? And so just to, for, to make my um, book a little bit, I guess, different and, and practical, I wanted to have the detective have a very prominent role and work with the amateur sleuth. A lot of times what you see is the amateur sleuth is at odds with the police. And I thought, well, it would be nice if you have somebody that has the authority to track down a killer and to question them. And so I wanted just to have that practical element in my book. And like the uh, like uh, Joanne and like uh, Maddie Edith, you were writing other stuff as well, and then came to uh, this genre again because you liked the genre as well. I mean, this is what you were reading in addition to other things. Yeah, I love cozy mysteries. You know, I grew up reading um, Nancy Drew, and I found Agatha Christie, and I just fell in love with with cozies from that point forward, and. It's something that I've read for years and years, and as I'm reading, I would think, oh, I wish there was a book about this, or I wish there was a book that had a, a hairdresser as the, you know, main character or, you know, that owned the bookstore. And so, you know, over time, I'm, I realize I'm not finding this book that I want to read, and so maybe I might want to try my hand at writing it. And uh, just to be clear, uh, in your books, uh, Mama B in the R.J. Franklin series, because you do write more than one series, Mama B is the one who is the the food person, the the great cook, and um, and boy, it sounds great whatever she's making in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mama B is R.J.'s godmother. And she is actually based on my godmother. So usually when I'm writing, all my characters are just made up um, bits and pieces of a lot of different people that I might encounter. But Mama B is really Ella Bethany. She was my godmother. And I really wanted to remember and honor her. And she was that woman. She was the woman who we would um, drive to her house in the summertime and sit on her front porch and, and drink sweet tea. And she wanted to cook for everybody. And she was always cooking. And it was an insult if you didn't eat. That's where I got Mama B from. Let's uh, hear you read a little bit about with RJ with Mama B right at the beginning of the book on page 14. Okay. A year ago... I was in a car accident. The accident hadn't been my fault, but it had resulted in fatalities, including a small child. I'd seen a lot of horrible things in my time, but nothing shook me as much as that little kid's death. The nightmares no longer came every night, but they were still frequent visitors which invaded my sleep. 
Early the next morning, I drove myself out of bed, showered, dressed, and drove to church for the early service. I was a mite late, but I was there nonetheless. Arriving only 30 minutes late for the 8 a.m. service is a feat to be applauded. Before I met Paris Williams, I would not have even contemplated attending the early service. But three months ago, that all changed. Paris is actively involved with the choirs and often sings at eight o'clock. We met when I was investigating the death of our last choir director, and I was pretty well a goner from the first moment I laid eyes on her. Fortunately for me, the feeling appeared to be mutual. First Baptist Church, or FBC as the members and most of the community called it, had been around for well over 70 years. The building was a classic brick stru structure with stained glass windows and lots of woodwork. The pews, the walls, the pulpit, and the altar were a vision of mid-century craftsmanship and a pain to keep dusted and clean. The usher recognized me and led me to the pew where my godmother, Mama B, was already seated. One glance at me and she moved the suitcase she called a pocketbook and slid down to allow me to sit on the end. I was tall and she knew I liked stretching my legs in the aisle. I kissed Mama B on the cheek and took a long look at the large hat she wore. Mama B was from that old generation of church matrons who never dreamt of arriving in church without wearing her best Sunday attire, which always included a hat of some type. Today, she was wearing a gray hat that fit snugly around her head, but had the most enormous bow I'd ever seen, which was outlined in rhinestones. I looked behind me, certain no one sitting anywhere behind her would be able to see around that massive bow. I received a swipe with her Bible. Mama B had an uncanny knack of reading my mind. You're late. Now sit up and pay attention. Mama B scolded me just as she did when I was five years old. Then she smiled and handed me a peppermint. That's my guest, V.M. Burns, reading from her book, uh, Motherless Child and R.J. Franklin Mystery. And one more thing, uh, V.M., Valerie, we have to address. Your book does not have a food title. Um, and so you need to explain why that is. So all of the books in this R.J. Franklin series come from Negro spirituals. So the first book in the series was called Traveling Shoes, The Second Motherless Child, and the third book is going to be called Steal Away. And what I wanted to do was to capture my culture of my African-American history. So from the songs growing up in the church and the soul food that I grew up eating, I wanted readers to be able to get a sense of all of that as they read. So the titles all come from Negro spirituals versus some um, play on um, food. Okay. Um, here's the Alabama AMM University Choir singing, Sometimes I Feel Like a Motherless Child. thought I'd give listeners a chance to hear the song. Many may not have heard it. And it definitely has a theme in the book. 
If you're just tuning in, this is our special one hour under the radar with Callie Crossley for Bookmark, the Under the Radar Book Club. My guests are Joanne Fluke, Maddie Day, and V.M. Burns, three authors of a niche mystery genre known as food cozies, where the food is just as important as the murder. So a question for all of you. As I went through just looking about uh, among the authors who write this, most of them are women. I, it was very, I was very hard. Um, uh, I kept looking, and I was hard-pressed to find a, a guy. There was one in Britain, but I couldn't seem to find anything he'd written lately. I don't know what happened to him. But when you think about a lot of men are chefs and are quite dominant in the cooking field, it's interesting, Joanne Fluke, that you don't see that in this writing arena. I don't think you do. I think you're right. I didn't actually I have never thought about that before. Perhaps some of the, of course, the famous chefs are too busy cooking or running their restaurants and things. And um, most of us, I don't know about your other two writers today, but I don't have a restaurant <laughs> or a coffee shop or a bakery, so I have time to write about it, which I, I have worked in restaurants. I was a short order cook in a truck stop one time. Oh, that was a hard job. (laughs) Really, that that was something else. You know, we have this sort of cultural thing where a lot of a lot of men grow up not knowing how to cook. Our culture, our our heritage. I think a lot of boys did learn how to cook way back when. And a lot of the cooking, men now barbecue. <laughs> a lot of a lot of guys. Well, you know, you could you could have a food cozy with the lead character being a master barbecue person. But it's just interesting to me, um, Edith Maxwell. What's your theory about why there are no men writing in this genre? Well, there are definitely men writing cozy mysteries, but food cozies. Um, I'm not. I'm not really sure. I I do want to put in a plug for my own two sons who are in their early 30s who are fabulous cooks and they have sewing kits and <laughs> they know how to sew on <laughs> okay. I trained them up well those boys um and they they think nothing of doing either so um but I don't know why um the men aren't including recipes because um the men who are writing cozies of course they're they are definitely in the minority but there are some and they they write great books um that's sure. It's interesting because um, I was a fan of Philip Craig, who wrote Martha's Vineyard, Vineyard Mysteries, and he had recipes in his books, um, uh, which, and that's the only person I could think of that had, you know, there was a very much a part of his character, J.W. Jackson, who was a retired homicide cop, but, you know, gathered up, he clammed all the time and fished all the time, and he cooked it. And so the recipes were actually in the book. So it was interesting. VM, what's your theory about why there's no men writing? You know, I think that um, I I don't know that I ever really noticed or thought about the fact that um, mostly um, the culinary cozies tend to be women. But, you know, one thing that I, I um, am wondering about is whether or not some of them could be writing under a female pseudonym. Um, in the thought that perhaps they they would um, get more readers that way. Um, I am aware of just one other that I can think of, a male that that writes food cozies, and they're using initials. So um, I'm just 
is a very good point. Coming up, we're continuing our hour-long August edition of Bookmark, the Under the Radar Book Club. Our special guests are three authors who enjoy cooking up mysteries in which food has a starring role. Writers Joanne Fluke, Maddie Day, Edith Maxwell, and VM Burns create cakes, nachos, and smothered chicken with a side of murder. More of our conversation next on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Welcome back. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. It's our special August edition of Bookmark, the Under the Radar Book Club. And we're talking with authors who leave the spicy and sweet, the baked and fried on the page in a mystery subgenre known as food cozies. On the plate, author Joanne Fluke's Coconut Layer Cake Murders. Maddie Day's Nacho Average Murder and VM Burns's Motherless Child. These mavens of full stomach fiction are joining me for this hour-long conversation about this popular genre, perfect for a summer read. I got a few questions for you that I think uh, many of us fans would like to know. What is the hardest thing about um, imagining your murder and your food to go along with your murder when you have to stay within a certain framework of the characters. Because the thing that makes this work is that I get to return to the characters I've come to love. I'm going to start with you this time, VM. So I think for me, the, um, the fact that the culture in the book is my own culture and the food is the food that I grew up eating. It was not difficult for me to think up what, food item to to provide in in that sense and so but did you feel limited by staying with the same characters no no i i didn't um because she's got a pretty vast repertoire of of food to to rely on there may be some limits in that i i can't see mama b cooking a lobster or something that's more regional but um the one thing that i find I'm able to do um, is because it relies on the people from the church is I can bring in some food from a few of those other characters. And one thing I've noticed is that Southern food can have um, a lot of variation to it. So I think that adds a little bit of variety as well. Um, Edith, do you feel limited at all or is it tough to stay within the genre of your your characters and their particular food types? I don't really feel like it's limited because I have to keep sort of searching what's a good breakfast special for this time of year. Oh, it's Christmas. You know, let's do um, creamy, cheesy grits with red and green peppers sprinkled on so that looks festive. Um, So they have to, they're always like reaching to um, find recipes. I also, like Joanne, uh, fans send me recipes. So one of my books mm-hmm. had um, actually Kathy Boone Real is a is a mystery reviewer and blogger, and she sent me her grandmother's southern jam cake um, that I put in a book, and another reader sent me her Hoosier sugar cream pie recipe. 
So Ooh. I get to branch out that way with fans who send me recipes. And my, I, I have a sister who lives in northern Indiana, and she's a really good cook, and she sends me recipes. Um, so I don't really feel like it's a, it's a hardship, and it's a way to be creative for me and for my protagonist, Robbie Jordan. And Joanne, um, my goodness, more than 20 books in this series, and you've yet to run out. I, I, you you keep improving that whippersnapper cookie <laughs> in various ways. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Well, I don't feel limited at all, Kelly. <laughs> um, and the reason I don't is um, the books take place in Minnesota in a small town. And I'm I say Minnesota, and I get my accent. You back. sure do. You <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I. Uh, this is a small town, and everybody cooks, everybody bakes. Just there's so many characters, and there are church suppers, and there are community cookouts, and all sorts of things. I can always bring in a recipe, and I, I did. I wrote in somebody because she brings in recipes. There's somebody helping, Hannah, Aunt Nancy. At the cookie jar, Hannah's uh, coffee shop and bakery. And Aunt Nancy, by the way, is a real person. She really is. She's not my aunt, but I called her Aunt Nancy. And Aunt Nancy comes from the East and comes along with a lot of friends that have recipes. So I can work in almost every single recipe that I want to in this book. All right. Um, Edith, what is the thing about Robbie and the way that she moves in the world? Now, you uh, you mentioned that in this particular book, she's back at home, her native home, California, but she actually mostly operates in Indiana. So that gave you some room to do uh, something a little bit different. But what about her do you think um, makes her just sort of the perfect protagonist for a cozy mystery and a food cozy mystery in particular? It's often good to have a protagonist who's a little bit of an outsider. And um, she didn't grow up in Indiana. And but so that gives her a more of a, a reason to ask questions and to be seen as a not quite from there, from the community, even though her country store has become the community watering hole. I mean, it's where everybody comes for breakfast, for lunch, to talk about the latest homicide, um, you name it. And She's a really loyal person. She's very loyal to her aunt, who's her only family, until she discovered her Italian father, who she never knew about. So she's she's smart. She's a a puzzle master. She could she does you know like the New York Times Sunday puzzle in pen times herself. Um, sometimes when she's working on a murder, she'll um, design a crossword puzzle with all the clues and the motives and the suspects as part of her crossword puzzle. And that helps her think through it. But mostly it's because she's the center of the community now um, with her restaurant. And that lets her hear secrets and talk to people and then go uh, checking things out after the restaurant closes. So, VM, um, a different kind of question for you, because you could read your book and be uh, pretty much into it before you realize that um, RJ is African-American. And I know that that is a deliberate move on your part. Um, and there are some other places in the book where you articulate the difference. I was looking at, I um, wonder if you'd read this piece on page 114 um, with R.J. and Harley, his partner. And I had no sense of, I knew that R.J. was African-American, but I, I was thinking maybe Harley was too. But in this passage, you make it clear that he's not. Sure. 
Like me, Harley was dressed in his Sunday best. Neither one of us had gone home to change after church. Visiting hours were limited, and neither one of us wanted to waste the time it would take to change clothes. So we were both rather more formal than usual. One of the interesting things I noticed about the differences between African-American churches and Caucasian churches in Indiana was the dress code was more relaxed than the Caucasian churches than that worn at African-American churches. There used to be a time when going to church on Sundays was more like a fashion show than a place of worship. Growing up, my sister and I had school clothes and church clothes. Our church clothes were more formal. I didn't believe God cared two figs what people wore to worship. However, going to church was a special occasion and the congregation dressed accordingly. Older women like Mama B wore hats and their best outfits to church. It was a sign of respect and reverence. However, things were changing. Now it wasn't uncommon to see people wearing blue jeans or even shorts to Sunday church service. However, older congregations like FBC still lean towards more formal attire. Having been raised in the South, Harley shared many of the same traditions as the African-American churches. Although his church was a lot less formal, he said he just didn't feel right if he wasn't wearing a suit on Sunday. I guess that's another reason Mama B liked him. So how did you make the decision to, in the way that you introduced um, RJ's uh, race, which is a big part of this book, and Harley and the rest of them. I mean, I, I, it was a while before I actually could figure out, you know, what everybody was. And I, I know, as I said, that that was a choice you made. Yeah, I, I wanted, especially with Harley and RJ, to be really, really good friends. But I wanted that contrast between some of the cultural things that that RJ as an African-American experiences, and then his partner, um, Harley. And as I'm, you know, kind of thinking about the series and where I want it to go with it, I kind of see Harley as, you know, very similar to RJ in a whole lot of respect. Yet he has family that is extremely different. And so, I think that will create some tension, but still we have this really good friendship between these two people who are um, very much alike, but then one is white and one is black. And so just how those two people would look at, at the same situation and might, you know, see it a little different. Hmm. Um there are not that many, just FYI, um, as I have perused food cozies and just cozy mysteries in general, of um, uh, folks of color writing in this in this particular genre. Uh, but this was something that 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 wasn't off putting to you. You know, um, I think that was probably one of the things that made me want to to write. And you know, when I talked earlier about. Um, wishing there was a book that had certain aspects. You know, I, I grew up reading cozies and loving them, but also wishing that there were characters that looked like me, just that there would be a sleuth who was an African-American. So I think that that actually drew me to um, wanting to write 
posies because there are so very few of us. And I thought, well, here I am. Um, maybe there are other African Americans out there that love reading mysteries and they would like to see someone that looks like them also. I think as more African American writers come into the genre and people see our books and they hear about our books, that maybe it will inspire more people to um, think about cozies as an option. If you're just tuning in, this is a special one-hour edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley for Bookmarked, the Under the Radar Book Club. I'm Callie Crossley, and here with me are three authors of mysteries known as food cozies. Joanne Fluke, whose latest is Coconut Layer Cake Murder, Maddie Day, Edith Maxwell, whose latest is Nacho Average Murder, and V.M. Burns, whose latest is Motherless Child. So back to you, Edith Maxwell. Um, one of the things that I uh, appreciated about your book is that you really dived into uh, the Southern California culture quite a bit while your uh, protagonist, Robbie, was there, um, down to all kinds of cultural references, very detailed. In addition to that, something that I paid attention to is that you made reference to Sue Grafton, um, one of a very popular mystery writer. She didn't write cozies per se. I don't I don't think I would describe her, but maybe you would. Um, and you made reference to her several times in the book as an homage, and I thought that was wonderful. Why did you decide to do that? Well, I mean, her fictional Santa Teresa was thinly disguised Santa Barbara. And, um, like, she was also one of the authors I was reading back when I started writing fiction as an adult in the early 90s. And um, true, they're not cozies at all, but she was brilliant and a master. And I, I did a research trip to Santa Barbara a year ago in the winter when we could travel um, in February when the book takes place. And um, we drove around and I, tr I had looked up where she lived in Montecito, which is a sort of an enclave that's part of Santa Barbara. And I didn't know her address, but I knew the street. So we drove by and I just sent out posthumous, you know, accol accolades to her and thanks. So I really needed to make that connection between her and, and I have a character saying, what are you, the new Kinsey Mohan? And yeah, she was wonderful and she died before her time and it was a great loss to all of us. And she was a very gracious woman. I met her a couple of times at conferences. Well, I should note that uh, part of of your world of, of writing uh, both cozies and and other uh, kinds of mystery genres is you're very involved in the organizations like Sisters in Crime and others that um, work to support all of the writers. So I guess it's, it's not unusual that you would be making a a uh, uh, a fictional have your fictional co character acknowledge a real um, other writer in the book. Sisters in Crime is a is such a fabulous advocacy organization for. Um, female, and we have mysteries in crime, a few, but um, um, I wouldn't be a published author if it weren't for the people I'd met and the networking I've done through Sisters in Crime, both on the national level and our New England chapter. I'm the immediate past president of the New England chapter, and I strongly encourage any um, aspiring or beginning uh, mystery author to join Sisters in Crime, join your local chapter, get to know people, um, you won't regret it for a minute. Well, maybe they will feel differently about writing this genre, Joanne Fluke, because you all are turning these books awfully quickly. I mean, you're writing a lot fast uh, because 
fans are really waiting for the next chapter. <laughs> the minute we read one, we want to see, well, what happened to Hannah after this? Um, how have you kept up this pace? I, don't, I really do not understand how you all are able to do it. How, how are you able to do it? <laughs> um, it's, I know Hannah. As a matter of fact, now this will probably qualify me for the rubber room but or the state home for the bewildered or something, but um, I sometimes imagine that Hannah is with me. For instance, my favorite place in the grocery store, of course, is the baking aisle. And I remember I was there not too long ago, and I saw a different brand of chocolate chips than I've ever seen before. And I picked up the bag and turned around and said, Hannah, do you? And I realized there's nobody there. (laughs) There's a lady at the other end of the aisle, and she's pushing a shopping cart my way. And she took one look at me and wheeled that thing around and headed for the meat counter. <laughs> and I was so embarrassed that I left the store without buying anything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hannah is real. And what I really like about Hannah is the fact she's not one of these beautiful TV uh, ladies that are like on the police force or uh, amateur sleuth. I mean, she's not really beautiful. She's a little overweight, maybe a little more than a little. And uh, she's got flaming red hair. Sorry, Allison. Allison's a blonde in the movies. But uh, then again, that's not our Hannah. That is the the L.A. Hannah, the Hollywood Hannah. <laughs> but uh, she's just not. She's not a beautiful woman. And this is what I wanted. So so many heroines are beautiful women. And I just wanted somebody that was was normal, just normal. And so that's why Hannah's a little overweight, and she's got that flaming, uncontrollable red hair. And by gosh, she's got two boyfriends anyway. So there's hope for everybody out there. That's what I wanted. That's my message. That's about it. That and read a book and let it take you away from the current problems that we have in this world. Well, absolutely. And I want to quote you from uh, your latest book in which you describe uh, Hannah and say that Dolores, that's her mother, had declared once that Hannah could put on several pounds just by walking past the candy store at the mall and staring at the display in the window. So that's from Coconut Layer Cake uh, Murder. true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Edith, how do you turn these uh, stories, these detailed stories with these characters that we will tell you, we fans, if you go off track and... And, and don't write them as we know them. So how do you do that so quickly? Well, I keep careful records. <laughs> That's one thing I do. So for each series, I have, the, I have a really detailed file of every character in the series and everything I know about them. And the police department in the series is a character and the town is a character and the store is a character, you know. So I'm, I'm just about to turn in book nine of the Country Store Mysteries, No Greater Crime. G-R-A-T-E-R. And, you know, by book nine, like book two, what color eyes did that person have? And, you know, what does Robbie, is she right-handed, left-handed? I don't remember. So I just keep really careful records. Um, and that helps me a lot. And I also have, um, I have five 
uh, superbly talented blog mates. We all blog together at wickedauthors.com and we're all mystery authors. Um, Barbara Ross also writes cozy foodies, but uh, in the main clam bake mysteries, but they, they keep me on track too, because they read my books and sometimes my manuscripts and they'll go, wait a minute. <laughs> Did she do that? Does she really own that kind of color car? Um, so that helps a lot too. VM, how do you do it? Um, as we've said, you write another series and you're fairly new to writing this genre, but, um, you know, you, you gotta, <laughs> you have to turn them pretty quickly. I know you have a third one coming out soon. Yeah, I actually, I write three series and, um, sometimes it can be a little difficult to keep track, but I, um, similar to Edith, I keep, uh, notes about the characters and details. But one thing that I started doing that really helps me to remember um, what specific um, characteristics I have is that I started creating Pinterest boards for each one of my books. So as I'm writing, if I um, describe a car that somebody drives, um, I'll find a picture of that and I'll put it on a Pinterest board. So later I can go back and I can say, oh yeah, that car was black or it had a light brown interior or this is this was the inspiration for a particular room or for a book or an outfit that Mama B, you know, I talk about Mama B's hat. And so I'll get a picture of a hat that somebody, or, you know, I'll see one at church that somebody is wearing and I'll snap a picture and upload it to the Pinterest board. And usually while I'm writing, I keep those boards private, but then once I'm finished and I release the book, I make the board public. So if there was somebody who wanted to see what I was thinking, what was going through your mind when you were writing that, a lot of times it's there and it's visual and it just helps me to, to remember uh, some of the details about my characters and keep things straight. Hmm. Well, I always ask my authors when I do these kinds of conversations, what do you want the readers to take away? Of course, we've said there's the perfect read for the summer. So that's the first thing I would say, but I'm not writing any of these books. So I'll start with you, Edith Maxwell. What do you want the readers to take away? Normally, I would say I want them to fall in love with my characters because it's an ongoing series. In this book... Um, the only ongoing character is Robbie Jordan, my protagonist. So I, I definitely want you to fall in love with Robbie Jordan. Like the world is kind of messy, like it, not kind of, the world is extremely messy and scary out there. And I know that I have found in the recent months respite in writing these books. And so I hope my reader will find respite from the outside world because these books end, justice is restored to the community by the end of the book. You're not going to end this book feeling scared or worried or tense. And so I'm hoping that my readers, as sometimes they write to me, thanking me for getting them through a stint at the hospital or a, somebody's surgery, um, I hope that my readers will find some sort of solace and respite in, in my stories. Van Burns, Valerie, what do you want readers to take away? I think I'd like readers to feel that Cozy Mysteries are a safe place for them to explore new worlds. 
it's an opportunity, you know, there are cozies that are set in Indiana, California, Minnesota, all over the world. And I remember when I first started reading how I was exposed to um, British cuisines. I didn't know what a scone was when I first started reading them or clotted cream. But I started reading cozies and it exposed me to that. And then I saw recipes in them and I was like, oh, well, I could try this. It might not be something that was available in my community or it might not be something that I would feel comfortable going out to another part of town to try, you know, a particular type of, of food. But in a cozy, you, especially a food cozy, you can get exposed to different people, different cultures, and it's a safe place to, to maybe try something that you wouldn't try otherwise. Joanne Flew? Well, what I want readers to take away is, uh, well, first of all, a couple of good laughs. I would like that. I like, um, I, I like to make people laugh. What I want them to do is shed their worries of the day, because everybody has worries, and just kind of get lost in uh, Hannah and her world in a simpler and probably kinder time frame than they're in now. And I just want them to relax and, and enjoy themselves for a few minutes without thinking of, of their troubles. And that's it. That's all I want. Oh, maybe a new recipe or two. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Well, I want to thank all of you for joining me. It's been delightful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Joanne Fluke is the author of Coconut Layer Cake Murder, a Hannah Swinson mystery, the 26th novel in the series. Maddie Day Edith Maxwell is the author of Nacho Average Murder, a country store mystery, the seventh in the series. V.M. Burns Valerie is the author of Motherless Child, an R.J. Franklin mystery, the second in the series. All of their books are available online and in bookstores. That's it for this week's show. We're on the web at WGBH.org, News Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, and available for download wherever you get your podcasts. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of WGBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and engineered by Dave Goodman. Rebecca Tauber is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. See you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.